now. So um, I'm Pastor Tony, one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. And so if I could have everybody stand up as uh, we're about to get started. Um, before we begin, I'd like to ask my wife, Jerry, to come up and just testify of what the Lord has been doing in her life as of late. So please give it up for Jerry as she makes her way up to the front. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Um, I had so many things to talk about this morning because God is always good to me. And, um, but actually, I just wanted to do something more recent. Um, I came yesterday. I was praying um, because I just came up a little bit shorter this month um, in my finances than I was expecting to be. And I was like, Lord, you know what? I really need about $100. And I don't want to ask my mom for it, and I don't want to ask anybody for it, but I'm just taking this need to you because I just need to put it in my account because things are going to start getting withdrawn. I don't want to overdraw, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I just kind of left it at that. Like, Lord, you know my needs. And so yesterday, I'm just doing my things. And all of a sudden, I get this check for $175 come into my hands. Not only that, but God gave me an opportunity to work a little bit, so I made $60 on top of that. And he just met me where I was at. He met my need, you know, over and abundant. I asked for 100 He gave me over 200 in a matter of a couple hours. And it's just like wow, God, like, you know my needs, and you meet them, and, and it was, like, to the point where I started feeling self-condemned because I, um, I couldn't tithe right away, and I love to give my first fruits. I love to tithe. I love to give it, and when I couldn't do it, I was like, oh, Lord, like, please just forgive me. I know you know my heart, but my heart is not to be, to steal from you or to be stingy, and now it's like, now I have the ability to just pay it all back to him, you know, and to give my tithe, give my fruit, and I just want to, like, God is such a good father, and he's such a great provider. You know, he meets our needs. And, and it reminded me of this passage in Matthew, and he said, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I just think, man, God, you are so good. You are a good father, and you give good gifts, and you meet your kids' needs when they are in need, and you don't leave us in lack. He never leaves us in lack. So I pray that today that if anyone feels like they're in lack, whether in spiritual emotions, financial, whatever it is, like take it to the good father who gives good gifts to his children. It's like we recite this, that verse, you know, it's like, Given, it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it's measured to you. And I just want to say, man, God is good. I just want to pray for us today. Father, you are a good father. You teach us what a good father is. You provide for our needs when we are in lack, God. And you meet us exactly where we are, Lord. You know what we need even before we ask, but you still want us to come to you. God, we don't need to go to anywhere else but to the throne. And we just thank you, God, for being good and kind and merciful and wonderful, Lord. And we just lift this all up to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.
everybody to get out of their seats. I want you guys to come up. I want you to worship. I want you to dance. I want you to praise the God in heaven who is your father, who gives good gifts, because he is worthy of that praise. He is worthy of that honor. Give and take. 
suffering when it's so hard to worship. I pray that each and every person in this place will worship you because of the glory of your splendor, God. That when we find ourselves in the desert place, and we find ourselves on a road marked with suffering, that we would still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, for he is good and his love endures forever. There's nothing in this world that compares to the goodness of you, oh God. And I just pray, God, for the encouragement of your saints today, God. Because he says that when, when you give your life to him, he calls you no longer sinner but saint. So you don't have to live under that label of, oh, I'm a sinner, because he says, no, you are my saint. You are my friend because a slave doesn't know his master's business but he lets you know exactly what he wants to do because he's a God, he's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos or confusion. If you find yourself in a confused and frustrated place, know that that is not from God. That he wants you to have peace and comfort, but sometimes that just means relinquishing a little bit more trust on him and a little less trust in yourself. Remember, he needs to become greater and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Hallelujah, God, I just pray for that increase of you, God, in our, each of our lives. God, as we wait for you, as we wait for you, God, to just step into this room, Lord, we know that you are here, God, but we want to wait on you. We want to wait on your timing, God, because we know that your timing is perfect. When we get anxious and when we try to move forward without you, God, or we try to press forward moving faster than you're ready to let us, God, I pray that we would take a step back and see what are you doing. Lead us, God. Lead us. We wait for you. We wait for you, we wait for you to walk in the room, we wait for you, we wait for you. 
Shekinah glory come down. Here we are standing in your presence. Here we are standing in your presence. Shekinah glory come down. Shekinah glory fullness of your pressing a word on your heart now is the time to speak it out because we believe in these gifts that they are for today and for always because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever
such a good word. You are loved by your God. He wants to wrap you in his love like a tsunami, like a hurricane. He wants to wrap you up in that. And he says, I love you. You are loved by your God. You are loved by your creator maker of the heavens and the earth and he loves you and he died for you and he came just for you hallelujah
lift up your hands right now. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Jesus, take it all, Lord. Take all of me, Jesus. All I need, all I want is you. to take it all. Nothing this world can give you compares to what God can give you. Oh, you're telling Jesus, Lord, take it all. I give you my worries. I give you my pain. I give you my suffering. I give you my sickness. I give you my depression. I give you my sins, my pride. I give you my lust. I give it all to you, Jesus. Take it all, Lord. Jesus says, give me your cares. Give me your anxiety. Give me your yoke and I'll give you mine. Mine is much lighter. It's better for you. Imagine running a race. Imagine running or going on a five-mile run. Some of you might do it, but imagine with 30, 40 pounds on your shoulder. It's not going to be that easy. And Jesus is saying, give me that weight. Give me that weight. I'll take it from you, and I'll give you this feather. I'll give you this piece of paper. It's going to be much easier. It's not a fair trade, isn't it? That's not a fair trade. You're saying, Jesus, here's my pain, here's my suffering, here's my worries, here's all, everything that I'm going through, everything that's negative and bad. And God is saying, I give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you hope. I'll give you happiness. I'll give you blessings. I'll give you all that you need to accomplish what I called you to do. It's not a fair trade, but he does it because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to succeed. He wants us to be in victory. He wants us to be in freedom. He wants to bless us, church. And all you have to say is, Jesus, he's ready to take it from you. All you have to say is, Jesus, take it all. Just take it from me. Just take it from me. I don't want it no more. I can't do it no more. I need all the goodness that comes from you, God. Oh, let's just sing that a couple more times right now. Just That's your prayer to the Lord right now. You know what you need to get rid of. You know what's not right in your life. You know. Just say, Jesus, take this from me. Take blank from me, oh God. And fill that void with your love. Fill it up, oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you take away, you take it all away, oh God. And you fill us with all the blessings, all the joy, the benefits, oh God, that comes from you, oh God. We thank you, Lord. We just pray, God, that you will fill us up with your spirit. Fill us up with your love, your joy, your peace, oh God. So that, Lord, we can continue to live, oh God. So we can continue to run this race, oh God. So we can continue to fight the good fight, God, that you set before us, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your love and your goodness. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Hallelujah. Let's worship God right now. Hello. You guys may take your seat right now. You guys may find your seat. Thank you, Lord.
Hallelujah. If there is any children and you want to send them to the back to Sunday school, you can send them back to the sound booth. There'll be somebody there to take them back to Keen's Kids where we're going to have Sunday school for the little kitties. Amen. Welcome to Metro Praise International where we love God and we love people. We love you here today. My name is Ricky. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, thank you for spending this uh, nice, warm Sunday afternoon with us where we worship God and we study his word to draw closer to him. Hopefully you enjoyed this worship time with us. Amen. Uh, right now, uh, I want to share the gospel with you. And I'm going to read Revelations chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, here I am. This is Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is awesome. This is an awesome illustration of what God desires. He desires fellowship with us. He desires a relationship with us. And what Jesus uh, is speaking here, there's a specific meal that he's talking about the mo in that time, the most important meal of the day, and it implied fellowship. It implied a deep and intimate relationship with someone, and that's what God wants from us. And he's saying, it's for everyone. This is the great invitation. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. This is for everyone here. He wants fellowship with us. And it amazes me that the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of our souls puts himself outside the door. Think about that. He puts himself outside of the door. If anyone has any rights, any authority, any power to kick that door in, bust it wide open and have his way, it will be him. But he doesn't do that, does he? Because he's a gentleman. He doesn't do that because he's loving and he's kind and he's gentle. And he wants us to make that choice. He wants us to make a conscious decision. He wants us to make a deliberate action to put our hands on that door, open it up, and invite him in. That's the only way he's going to come in. He's, there's not going to be a forcible entry here. He only comes in if you invite him in. Amen? Amen? And if you invite him in, he promises to come in and to give us new life and to bless us, to encourage us. There's benefits, all the benefits, all the goodness, all the blessings that come with having a relationship with Jesus. If you just let him in. He's saying, here I am. I'm at the door. I'm knocking. Will you let me in so that I could be a part of your life? Now, some people don't want to let Jesus in. They don't want to open up that door because they're afraid or they're ashamed of what Jesus might see. They're afraid of their messy house and all the junk food that they have in their fridge maybe. You know, you're ashamed. But guess what? Jesus knows all about that. He knows all about your mess. He knows about the skeletons in your closet, what you've hidden under your bed. He knows all about that. And guess what? He still wants to come in. He still wants to fellowship with you. Why? Because he loves you and he cares for you. And when you let him in, he makes all things new. The old is gone. The new has come. He makes all things new. Other people, you're proud of your mess. You like your mess. You, like, you love your sin. You enjoy it. But let me tell you that nothing this world can give you or offer you can compare to what God can offer you. God is offering you life. He's offering you hope. He's offering you joy and peace. He said, I have it for you. It's so much better. And people just don't understand. They're, they're, they're satisfied with, with, with their leftovers. They're satisfied with their ramen noodles uh, diet and, and TV dinners. And God is saying, man, I have, I have better for you. I have the best cut of me. I have this dry-aged porterhouse filet mignon with twice-baked potato and bacon and cheese. Making some of you guys hungry. But 
God is saying, I have so much better for you. If you just open up the door, you will see. You, you will see. Some people, you think you're okay with Jesus. You're waving at him from inside. Of the, you know, he's outside, and you're still inside your house, and you're waving at him through the window. You say, hey, we're cool. You know, I'm not going to let you in, but we're cool just like just the way we are. That, that's, that's not how it works. There's going to be consequences for that. That's not a relationship with Jesus. You have to open up that door. You have to allow him to come into your life and, and fix you up and clean you up and set you free from whatever it is that you're going through. Amen? If you would just open up that door and let Jesus into your life, you can experience new life if you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? You guys may stand up, please. We're going to have some prayer workers here. To your left, Tony and Lily. If this is you, this word is you, you, you still have Jesus on the outside of your life. Maybe you've backslidden. You once upon a time he was in your life and you kicked him out. But you want to open up that door again. You want Jesus to come into your life. If that is you, I want you, as soon as we're done, I want you to come up for prayer. Let them pray for you. Let them encourage you. Maybe you want to do discipleship and, and grow in your walk with God. Let them know and they'll let you know what you need to do. But I want to encourage you, let Jesus in. Because you know what? Sooner or later, and the way things are going, sooner than later, Jesus is going to stop knocking. He's not going to be there anymore. And it's going to be too late. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Today is the day of redemption. Tomorrow is not promised. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen after you leave church. Right now, take advantage. Take advantage of his offer of new life. Amen? Let's pray right now. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity, the offer, the invitation that you give each and every one of us, oh God, to experience new life, to fellowship with you, to have a relationship with you, God. Lord, we open up the door, God, and we ask you to come into our lives and to fill us up, oh Lord. I pray for every person here, God, as you're knocking on, the, on their door right now, as you're calling out their names, Lord, I pray, God, that they would be obedient to your spirits and that they would open up the door and allow you to come into their lives, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just give us new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, right now, we're going to do our confession of faith. This reflects our Christian worldview. Christians around the world uh, believe this. And we just do this to remind ourselves and to encourage ourselves of what we believe in. Amen. So let's just say this together in a count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's fellowship for the next few minutes. Come up for prayer. Amen.
Good afternoon. Who's excited to be at church this morning? It's good to see all your lovely faces. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International. We welcome you. For all of our first-time visitors, we welcome you on back. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with us this morning. It was a powerful time in God's presence, and we're so thankful that you guys are all here with us today. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., and we also have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. every week from ages, four ages, 11 to 18 years old. So we just want to keep inviting that age group because this is the place to be for them. They're on fire for Jesus and they're winning their friends for the Lord. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Can you say that with me? Loving God, loving people. And our discipleship strategy has three parts to it. It's connect, mentor, and send. And our desire as a church is to have you connect to the Lord through our life groups, connect to the church through our life groups. So in the back of your handout, you can see the schedule of all the types of life groups that we have to offer. So we really want to encourage you, especially if you're new, you've been coming around just for a little bit, find a place to belong. Look at the schedule, check out the types of life groups that we have, and that will fit the needs of your family because we want everybody to get connected. Look to your neighbor, say, get connected. Here's a snapshot of what we have coming up this week. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens throughout the week. And today it's kicking off with the worship team. It's 201 Elders and Deacons meeting here at the church at 4 p.m. We have Tuesday, the Resistance Elevate Life Group. Come on, young people, 11 to 18 years old, meeting here at the church at 6 p.m. Wednesday, it's our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old. At 6.30, you could drop off your children, have a night to yourself, pick them up at 8. It's an awesome time for our Royal Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club. And then every Friday, we have our two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Both have childcare. So we really want to encourage the adults, find a Bible study to belong to every week and get plugged in with friendship, fellowship, and the word. And then Saturday, every week, we have our evangelism. All ages are welcome. We meet at the church at 5 p.m. and we hit the streets. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you've never gone street witnessing, it really grows you in your faith for the Lord and gets you passionate about soul winning and uh, gives you a heart for the lost. So find a place to get connected. And then we want to mentor you. Look to your neighbor. Say, get mentored. We have uh, leaders ready to take you through our 101 book. It's called Welcome to Your New Life. So whether you've been saved for a long time or coming from a different church, we still want you to go through the process and meet with our leaders. Uh, according to your schedules and so when you graduate the 101 then we get you into the 201 class disciples that make disciples and this is where we train leaders this is where we train you guys to one day be appointed as a deacon or an elder because we believe that every believer should be a leader and that's how we're going to win the world for jesus we want to keep sending you out to winning souls and our goal is to have a hundred thousand disciples in chicago with 50 churches in this city and 500 around the world if you believe we can do that by god's grace say amen if you want to be a part of that say amen come on who's excited to learn about offerings this morning ties and offerings we are in section three of the disciples giving book just giving a couple seconds for my page here to upload section three is all about stewardship it's one of my favorite uh, parts of this book because it just shows the importance of uh, the responsibility that God has given to us. And my phone is not working, so I gotta follow along here. Please, you could put it all the way up so I can see the, uh, the title. Section three, we'll just follow along. Technology sometimes kind of messes you up here. 
Please go all the way up so I can see the title. We are in section three, all about stewardship. Lesson one, God is the owner and we are the manager. And I want to give you the definition of stewardship since this is our going to be our first week talking about it. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has given, has entrusted us with. Okay, so God has made us managers over everything that he's given us to have responsibility for. Let's read Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let's get the three main points from that passage of scripture. Number one, the earth is the Lord's. All the earth belongs to the Lord because he created it. Say it belongs to him. In the beginning, God created the heavens which is the universe and the earth where mankind lives. He made it, he created it, he owns it. Number two, everything in the world belongs to God. Literally, everything in matter, space, and time is his. All the gold, jewels, animals, humans, resources, etc. everything. Look to your neighbor, say everything. Every invention, business, and creation of mankind has only come from borrowing what God has already owns. So we're borrowing his time. We're borrowing the oxygen. We're borrowing all the resources. We're borrowing the gifts and the talents and the abilities that we have day to day. And so the big picture here is, if you don't know where it's going, is it all gets give, given back to him for his glory. Number three, we literally own nothing. Since God owns everything, that means we literally own nothing. Therefore, we are just borrowing what he owns. Since God is the owner, we should be good managers of his creation. How many of you guys want to be a good manager over what God has entrusted to you? It's very important because what we do with what he's given to us is going to result in glory back to him. And if we don't take care of it, he doesn't get the glory. And it's all about giving God glory. Let's read the summary. Be a responsible and obedient manager of everything God has lent you. Here's the application. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after the tithes. Number two, be grateful for all that God has allowed you to have. Every day we should give a, a praise of gratefulness and thanksgiving for all that God has given to us because we serve a good God and he is good to us. Number three, manage all of God's gifts in your life for his glory. Let's confess this. This is going to be a new confession for the next 12 lessons, 14 lessons, I believe, in this section. So let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If you could please stand with me to your feet this morning as we prepare to give God our best. Our tithes and our offerings, they all belong to him. Everything we have belongs to him, and he only asks for 10% so we can uh, continue to do the work that, he, that he's called us to do on the earth. And so Metro Praise believes in the tithe, 10% of our total income. Anything above that is an offering that you give to the Lord, and we designate to two different places. One is towards missions, and the other one is toward building. And if you could please, on the envelope, make that very clear where you want your monies to go on the sections that are made available to you. Currently, we are in a building fund. We're raising monies for the Metro Praise International Church lit up sign to go outside across the building. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for your generosity. We cannot do what God has called us to do in the city and for the nations without your um, partnership with God's church. This is God's church. It doesn't belong to a man. It belongs to him. So when we come together, we're taking care of kingdom business. Amen. We have it made uh, 
made it available to you to make it convenient for giving through card. We have online giving as well as in the back. You can see me before or after service if you have any questions about that. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your abundant grace and provision for our lives. I ask, oh God, that you would bless the gift and the giver this morning. Bless and prosper your people. I pray for increases and raises and promotions on the jobs. I pray that everything that we do, that we would be faithful stewards, managers over everything you've entrusted us with, and we give back to you, God. We look to your example of being a generous giver. You gave us the greatest gift, Jesus, the Savior for all mankind, and we want to, in turn, be generous so we could take care of your business here on this earth to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and thank you so much for your generosity. that grace let me get a whoop whoop come on somebody say it's all about that grace amen amen open up your bibles with me to ephesians chapter two how you guys doing come on cool kids in the front row come on some high fives love you guys can i get some high fives over here let's go to ephesians chapter two can you give me a high five as you're looking up your passes come on oh man god is so good amen everybody doing good back there Back there, back there, all the way over there, over there. Come on, God is so good. I'm glad that you guys are filling up the house in the second service. I am just so encouraged by what God is doing. We're almost entirely full in the first service, and now the second service is getting to be about three-quarters, as you can see, and we got another maybe half to three-quarters full, another half to go, and I think we're going to blow this up this summer and come into the fall large and in charge. Somebody say amen. Amen. Those of you who don't know, haven't been around Easter, we had one big, uh, before Easter we had one big service. After Easter we've been having two smaller services. We were averaging, averaging about 160 before Easter, and now we're averaging around 200. Had 140 in the first service. That's pretty cool. And before we only had 160 in everything, right? And then now I think we're going to have 50, including kids, over 200. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Thank you. Whoever thunk you would want to go to church at 1 o'clock, right? And it works. Some people are just like, man, 10's too early. I'm sleeping in. And I'm like, I like, I like to sleep in with you sometimes, you know? Because I honestly, if I think if I had a choice, I would be coming to the 1 o'clock service, you know? But I got to do both. Somebody say, work it, Pastor. I will. This is my work day. I got to work. Somebody got to work on Sundays, amen? Anybody going to Dairy Queen after here? Anybody, somebody got to go to Dairy Queen. Come on, Nancy, you and I are going to Dairy Queen. Can I get you a Dilly Bar? And then a, you get me a Blizzard, I'll get you a Dilly Bar. Amen. 
And somebody got to work there. Amen. Somebody got to work there. That's why we try to make the services fit with everybody's schedule. If you're new to uh, what we've been doing this summer, we're on a series called Grace. Everybody say Grace. Amen. Grace is our series. We're in a sermon today called The Throne of Grace. Last week was part one. Today is part two. So if you missed part one, go back to the website, mpichurch.org, and look it up. And I appreciate what these guys do in the back every week. If you're there in Ephesians chapter 2, can I get an amen? Amen. Check this out. Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. He gives us our passage. We've been reading it all month long and all summer long. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. Thank you. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. So everybody say grace. Everybody say faith. And everybody say the gift of God. Let's say it fast. Grace, faith, gift of God. Grace, faith, gift of God. Grace, faith, gift of God. Amen. So it's all about being saved by grace through faith, and it's the gift of God. Don't forget that. The Bible says it is not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork. Everybody say masterpiece. You are the masterpiece of God. Look at your neighbor saying, mm, 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 you look good. <laughs> Some of y'all ain't ready for that. That was just, I was helping a single ready to mingle right there. But if you're sitting next to your husband and wife, or husband or wife, you know you like to say that. I got some couples there, couples here, couples everywhere. You know, come on. Mm-mm, you look good. It's okay to have brotherly love, sisterly love. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen. We're just encouraging each other. You are the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Write down this sentence because it's my goal every week to give you something new to think about this passage. So, you know, I've been reading it all summer long. So here's something new to think about this passage. Write this down. We live in crazy times where sinners think they're saints and saints think they're sinners. I want to explain this to you, but write down that sentence and tell me if this resonates with you. So we just had the ESPY Awards. And Caitlyn Jenner, who's really Bruce Jenner, just won the award for being the most courageous athlete of the year. Now, I don't know about you and where you're at on this, but this is just so weird to me. And I have compassion for him. I really do. He's still a dude. His chromosomes are a guy. So I'm going to refer to him as a guy. But that doesn't mean I'm mean. It just means I'm telling the truth. Facts are friends, okay? Facts are friends. His chromosomes means he's a male. That's what he is. So he's playing make-believe. And as a sinner, he's trying to be a saint. He's trying to be something that he's not. And by him fulfilling what he thinks is his desires and dreams, he thinks he's living a great life. Like, And people are applauding him, but really what he is doing is playing make-believe. So imagine if today I came here and I thought I was Captain Hook. And I had a patch over my eye, and I had my hand missing, and I put a little hook here, and, uh, you know, and I was, matey, you know, and I started talking like a pirate. Would you guys applaud me and be like, you're so awesome pretending to be Captain Hook? Would you think that's a good idea? Probably not. But why are people applauding him? Because the thing that he is make-believing to be, he is a man pretending to be a woman. Chromosomes haven't changed. What he is pretending to be makes them feel better because it makes people who are in their sin say, well, maybe I'm not really a sinner. Maybe this is just the way God made me to be. 
So the person who likes having sex with multiple women, not being married, he says, well, God made me to have sex with multiple women. That's how I'm made. The person that says, I want to, um, you know, I want to be whatever they want to be, you know, just uh, a rapper, a singer, whatever people want to be, then they say, well, I want to be what I want to be. And now, some things obviously aren't so bad, but some are good. You know, maybe I want to go be an astronaut. Okay. But here's the thing. By this sinner pretending to do the right thing, people are applauding him. And then we all come to a church like this. You're here today. And now you're told by God that you are a saint, that you have been changed. He has made you holy. He has perfected you on the inside. But yet some of you here are pretending to be a sinner. You're not acting like you are supposed to. You're not living like who God made you to be. Your chromosome is born-again saint of God. But you're pretending to be a sinner, and then when you sin, you say the excuse, well, nobody's perfect, not knowing that you've been perfected in Christ. You say nobody's really holy except God, not knowing the Bible said, be holy, for I am holy, be perfect, for I am perfect, the Father said. And then you use these excuses, and then churches applaud people for doing this, and pastors say, hey, I don't expect you to do any better because I can't do any better. My one friend who's a pastor just had an affair with one of the girls in his church. He's already back to preaching. So what do you think? The, the church is sick. They're playing make-believe. The world is sick, and they're playing make-believe. This is the time that we live in. Sinners don't want to admit they're sinners. Bruce Jenner doesn't want to admit that he needs to be saved. He wants to say, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. This is the way God made me. See, he's playing make-believe. He doesn't want to admit he's a sinner. And then saints up in here, y'all don't want to admit that God made you holy and perfected you. You want to keep making excuses to live in sin. Because as I've been preaching this week and as I've been teaching, I've been seeing that there's those that don't want to believe it. You want to keep living like a sinner. So these are the crazy times we're living in. Saints living like sinners or acting like they're sinners playing make-believe and sinners acting like they're saints, acting like God is okay with what they're doing. That's not what the Bible wants us to do is play make-believe. The Bible wants us to have the reality of salvation, the reality, the transformation of your life. So look at this passage. For it is by grace you have been saved. Now imagine if I come to your house and I'm breathing heavy and I'm like, let me in, let me in. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. And you let me in your house. I'm like, thank you. I am safe now. I am safe. I am safe and I am safe. Wouldn't the first question you would ask me would be, what are you saved from? What did I just save you from? Who was coming after you? What was happening? Wouldn't you ask me that? So when we come to church and you say you're saved, I want to ask you a question. What are you saved from? What did God save you from? If you save, you're saved from sin, then why are you still acting like you and sin are in a battle? If you say you've been saved from the devil, why are you still acting like the devil's got power over your life? See, if you're truly saved, that means you are safe. Saved people are saved people. And what, what have you been saved from, made safe too? You are saved from the devil, made safe with God. You are saved from sin, made safe in holiness. You are safe from impurities and safe in purity. See, the Bible says, for by grace you've been saved. So how many people are saved here today? If you are saved, what are you saved from? Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 6. I want to ask you, what are you saved from? 
Now, wouldn't there be, wouldn't this be awesome if there was a whole chapter in the Bible that all it talked about was you being saved from sin and made to, to, made, made to live holy for Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome if there was just a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to you being saved from sin, meant to live for Christ? Wouldn't that be so cool if that was there? Would you, would you think that was cool? Has anybody turned to Romans 6 yet? Has anybody looked up at the screen yet? Wouldn't that be cool if that chapter was in the Bible? Can I show you that chapter? What shall we say then? Shall we, this is Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have what? Died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Are you dead to sin and alive to God, or are you dead to God and alive to sin? Are you a sinner, or are you a saint? Stop playing make-believe. Which one are you? What is your identity? Who does God say you are? If he says you're a saint because you've come to him, then you have died to sin. You are no longer a sinner. Is something that is dead, is it alive? Is it alive? Like if your dog was dead right here, should I throw it a bone and expect it to go get it? So according to the Bible, are you dead to sin or alive to sin? Those who are alive to sin, how, uh, those who are dead to sin, how can you live in any longer? Now watch this. Or don't you know, maybe some of you don't know, so let me help you. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? How many have been baptized since being saved? Did you know that when you were baptized in the water, the water was symbolizing a grave for your old person? This is what the Bible says. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? A new life. So sinners need a new life and saints need to live the new life. How many saints do I have here today? How many ain'ts do I have? Okay, so nobody wants to admit it or it's nobody's a, a sinner in here. But that's the point that we have to understand. How many saints? Okay, if you are a saint, are there two different types of saints in the Bible? Are there two different saved people in the Bible? Are there ones that God says, here are the spiritually elite, the ones that are really changed and really awesome, and the rest of y'all guys, you're just the messed up ones? Does God have that kind of rank in the kingdom? Does he do classism? Like there's different kinds of people? No, this is for everybody. So what kind of life do you have right now? You have a new life, right? A new life. Now, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but let's just go on down here to verse 11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Where does sin come from? The mortal body. So when I got saved, my body did not change. What changed when I got saved? My spirit and what else? My soul and spirit got saved. My soul is saved. How saved are you? Somebody say, so saved. How saved are you? Now, when I say how saved are you, say soul saved. How saved are you? See, you are soul saved. Your soul has been saved. That means when this earthly mortal body dies, your soul goes to heaven with Jesus. So what are you praying on this earth? 
God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Our goal in this life is to live out the will of God in this mortal body through our soul and spirit. Your soul and spirit is the driver of your car. Imagine you getting in a car, you make that car go where it goes. You make your body go where it goes. Now at some point, sometimes the body's brain breaks down and the physical body breaks down and you can't do that anymore. But as well, as long as you're healthy and well, you get to control your body. You get to control your brain. You decide what you're going to think on today. Do you want to think on perversion or do you want to think on purity? Do you want to think on the things of God and the fruit of the Spirit or do you want to think on the deeds of the flesh? The Bible says here, therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body and obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So going back to this passage right here, it says I'm saved by faith, uh, saved by grace rather through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, but at the end it says to do good works. So do I do good works to save myself? No, but now once I'm saved, can I do good works? So think of it this way. Could you fly a plane without a plane? I mean, it's, it's just so simple, isn't it? So can you do good works without being saved? You have to be saved, made a new person to do good works. Then you get the plane. Now you get to learn how to do it. So what is Christianity? Christianity is you learning to live the life that God gave you. So imagine here, no one has a plane. Everybody here is planeless. Now let's say I give you each a plane. I'm Bill Gates. I buy you a plane. I buy you a plane. I buy you a plane. Now all of you have planes. Does that now mean you know how to drive or fly that plane? No, you take lessons and you grow in the knowledge of that plane. You understand the plane more as time goes on. You perfect your skill. So what we have here is a growth that happens in our salvation. The Bible says growing up into all things, but the idea is we're already saved. That's what we're growing up into, what we've already been given. So I am saved. I am taken out of this sinful way, but now I offer my body to God. God as an instrument of righteousness. So when you look at this passage, and this is just the introduction, look at your neighbor and say, just the introduction. The introduction is teaching us that you are saved from your sins. If I came running to your house and said, save me, save me, you would say, what are you running from? If God has saved us, what has he saved us from? Our sins. And where are our sins, the Bible says? In our mortal bodies. He has saved you from your flesh. Turn with me quickly, please, to Galatians chapter 5. As a matter of fact, I'll do it right here, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, just give me back the mouse over here. I want you guys to see it here. Go to Galatians chapter 5 just so you can see the sins in your mortal body, as the Bible says. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 19. And you'll see where the sin is at that you and I are facing and what it is, just so you can have this in review. And I really want to finish the message today. How many want me to finish the message so we don't have to do a part three? Look at this. The acts of the what? What does this say? The acts of the, the, acts of the flesh. Does everybody here have flesh? Is anybody here Casper the ghost? So everybody here has flesh. Now, your flesh may desire different things at different times, but your flesh... Your mortal body has desires. Your brain has thoughts and propensities towards sin. 
Jesus is say, has saved you from them and is teaching you today what salvation means. It means you don't live by this anymore. You have a choice. You're not a slave to this. Before Jesus saved you from sin, you were a slave to sin. So take the list here quickly. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit what? Won't they, won't, won't they inherit? The kingdom of God. So your flesh desires that at different times and different ways. Jesus has saved you from that. You're no longer a slave to sexual immorality. So if Bruce Jenner said, I was born this way, do I even want to argue with him? No, I don't even want to argue with him. Your flesh wants sin. Okay, you were born that way. But Jesus wants you to be born again. What about the person who's born with anger? Was anybody here born with anger? I know I was. My mom says from a very early age, bad temper. I wanted to hurt people, so do I get a permission to hurt people now? I was born this way. What about men here who can have sex with more than one woman, even married men? Yes, we deal with lust. So am I supposed to say, hey, let me do what I want to do too, right? What about the person that lies every time they get pushed into a place where they have to tell the truth on their job? Hey, did you do that report? Hey, did you shut down the store at 9 o'clock or did you leave early at 8.50? And every time they, they get nervous, they lie and they say, I was, just, I was born this way. I just get nervous. I have to lie. Does everybody get to say those things? No. If you live this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saving us from? He's saving us from our flesh, our mortal body. Those who live according to their flesh will die. Go to Romans chapter 8, please. Those who live according and put their mind upon the flesh will die. The wages of sin is what? Death, and we're going to go through that a little bit still in the introduction. We're not ready for the message yet. How many say introduction? Everybody say introduction. Okay, we're going to get through this. I promise you, I got time. I'm getting through this today. This is happening. But look at this, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 gives us the clear understanding. Here it is. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their what? Minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now watch this, Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is what? Death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. Many of us can relate to this. When you were a sinner, were you hostile towards God? You might not have flat out said, I hate you, God, but you were hostile towards His law. You didn't want to do what was right. Maybe people told you about what God taught was right, and you were hostile to it. I don't want to do that. Leave me alone. That's because you were governed by the flesh. The, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Even the greatest thing they do, the Bible says, is still acts of wickedness. Even when they do charity, it's still for themselves, selfish. If they didn't do it for God, they did it for themselves. That's selfish. Well, look at what so-and-so did. Look at all the poor people they fed. Yeah, but if they didn't do it for God, they took the credit for themselves. Did Oprah Winfrey give herself the brain to be able to make money? No. So if she doesn't do it for Jesus Christ, she did it for herself. That's high rebellion and treason against God. How would you like it if I took your wallet from you right now, stole it, went out and bought somebody ice cream and said, hey, I bought him ice cream? People steal God's brain. People steal God's oxygen. People steal God's resources and say, look what I did. Look what I made. Look what I created. You didn't create nothing. 
The only thing you ever did, I always say, you're not a self-made success, you're a self-made, there you go. You're not a self-made success, you're a self-made, that's all we'll ever make ourselves is a mess. But Jesus makes our mess our message and takes our tests and makes them a testimony. But he gets all the glory and it's a trans. Uh, it's a transferring of kingdoms. It goes from flesh to spirit, kingdom of death to the spirit of life. And look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Everybody say you. Look at your neighbor and say you, you, you. That's the you I'm talking about is you, you, you. Right here, you. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit. You see, when I talked about this before, people in the spirit are pretending they're in the flesh. They're living as hypocrites. Why are you doing that? Live in the spirit. If you're born again, that's who you are. Live like who you are. What if my child walked around today and kept calling themselves a brown? I'm a brown. I'm Bethany Brown. I'm Bethany Brown. I would say you're not Bethany Brown. You're Bethany Rhyrostic. Well, I'm calling myself Bethany. You're playing make-believe. I got your birth certificate. Sinners are walking around going, God loves me. He blessed me. He said this was great. Yeah, God loves you, but he hasn't blessed you. He says it's cursed. You're playing make-believe. You're a sinner. Call yourself what you are. You're a sinner. And then saints are walking around going, I'm dirty. I'm filthy. I'm a sinner. I can't change. I'll never be any different. Oh, but bless God, I get to go to heaven when I die, and I go to church and feel good sometimes. No, that's not who you are. You're a saint. Know who you are. The Bible says, I wish you were hot or cold. Stop being lukewarm. Spit you out of my mouth. That's what he says. You make me puke. Jesus said that. You make me gag. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said that. Jesus said that. Y'all believe me that Jesus said that? Revelation 3.16. But if Christ is in you, how many of you have Christ in you? Is he this big little Dito Jesus? Little Jesus right there. Is little, is little Jesus inside of you? Big Jesus is inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit, isn't he not? You know what an atom bomb is? An atom bomb is a splitting of an atom. So small, creates the biggest explosion. Can you imagine how much God is in you right now? God is in you. His power is in you. All that you would ever need to do what God has called you to do is in you. Now watch this. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the spirit. You're, uh, you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Now this is when I say, hey, when I'm talking about you being a saint and having the power of God, if that doesn't make sense to you, I'm not being rude. I'm just telling you, you're probably not saved. You got to get really saved. You got to have a real experience with God. You got to get soul saved, right? Because if you're like, Pastor, I kind of get what you're saying, but I haven't really felt it like that. I just kind of come to church and every now and then I listen and I agree. Well, that's cool, but you're not really saved then because those who belong to Christ have the Spirit of Christ and this is where they're living. They understand it, right? Sometimes we may not live it, but the truth is we still have the Spirit of God. But if you're not relating to the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, what is my body subject to? Death. And why is it going to die? Because of sin. Now that's why Jesus is going to give me a new body after the resurrection. All of us get a new body, right? And it says here, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies so that you might live for Him. Let's see that. So He might give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now, the introduction. You guys about ready to wrap up the introduction here? Are you ready to wrap it up? Because we got to get to the message today. We got so much to talk about, okay? Here's the nugget I wanted you to pull out today. Here's the nugget. Sinners pretending to be saints, saints pretending to be sinners. Throw out make believe and know who you are and live like it because Jesus saved you. He saved you. 
And if you're not saved, get saved. Amen? Everybody say the throne of grace. Okay, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 4, 16, uh, chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Por favor. And today we're going to finish the throne of grace. So in the kingdom of God, there is a throne. The Father sits on it, and Jesus is at his right hand. The book of Hebrews explains to us why in the Old Testament, Hebrews, the Jewish people, followed the laws that they had. How many laws did God give Moses on the mountain? Ten commandments. And then how many did he give him after that? 600 for a total of how many? 610 laws. In the book of Leviticus, most of those laws are outlined, and those laws have to do with how to please God and what to do when you mess up and don't please God. Would you put up the picture of the tabernacle, please? Let them see a picture of the tabernacle. Turn to Hebrews 4.14. The book of Hebrews explains to us most adequately the Old Testament. i got to work around these poles every now and then. Amen? The Old Testament had 39 books, and it had a lot of sacrifices, a lot of commands, a lot of do's and don'ts. If you want to understand the books of the Old Testament now after Christ has come, read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews explains why there was a temple, explains why there was priests, explains why there was dietary laws, why there was uh, the different kind of ceremonial laws. The book of Hebrews explains why God chose the descendants of Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac and his son Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel, also known as the Hebrews. One of the significant parts of the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus is this description that God gives Moses. Now, this is the actual temple, but when God gave it to Moses, he says, Moses, make a temple from the pattern you see in heaven. That means it was a shadow of something he saw in heaven. So let me give you an example of how shadows work. Everybody say a shadow. Now here you have a credit card. Let's pretend this was an American Express black credit card with a limitless uh, ability. You could get whatever you want. On. They do exist. Google it if you don't believe me. American Express, Express black. You could put a million dollars on it. It has uh, no uh, overage. You can go as high as you want. You just have to pay it back every month. I don't know how they work that out, but I think people got to secure it with a lot of money, okay? So check this out. I want to use Isaiah as an example. Isaiah, come up here, please. I want you to take the shadow of this credit card and put it in your pocket, please. The shadow right down there. Can you put it in your pocket? Okay. Now, if you had a choice between the example of the American Express black credit card... What would you rather have, Isaiah, the credit card itself or the shadow? Okay, I give it up for Isaiah. He's very smart. He's going to do great things in life. God has big plans for him, and that's serious, right? But that's pretty obvious. What would you rather have, the shadow of your wife, fellas, or your wife? What would you rather have, the shadow of your paycheck or your paycheck? This is considered the shadow of heaven. This is what Moses saw in heaven. This is the pattern that he made, but the real one is in heaven. 
The real place that he is describing here is in heaven. So what did he make on earth to teach the Jewish people about heaven? It's always been God's desires for the kingdom of heaven to come down to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what did Moses see in heaven? He saw a place of sacrifice and blood. This is where they would kill the animals in the Jewish time. And then they would set it on fire. They would wash themselves in water and be cleansed. Then they would go into this first part here of the tent, and there would be three things, seven candlesticks known as the menorah. It's, it's one, the one thing is the seven candlestick menorah, seven different candlesticks. Then a table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread, and then an altar of incense where incense, sweet aromas were burning. This is what Moses saw in heaven. This is what John repeated again in Revelation, that there was a place where there was a lamb slain before the altar. There was the seven, spirit, uh, manif the seven manifestations of God's spirit burning. The incense was going before the throne of God, and the word like bread was coming forth. This is the example of heaven. And then after you cross this veil, you get to the inner court. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say the Ark of the Covenant. Put up the uh, sermon, please. In the Ark of the Covenant, it's like a treasure chest, and it's not just about the uh, Indiana Jones movie, if you've ever seen that. Anybody ever see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, my gosh. You guys have not seen that movie. You guys all, this is your homework, is go watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm kidding, but it's still a great movie. That's when movies were clean. You could go and take your whole family to them and not feel like you had to repent afterwards. This... Can I, don't touch it for me, guys. Let me see if I can do it. Okay, if I can't do it, that's okay. Put up for me the temple on a sheet that I can just swipe over because I want them to see. This was in the Holy of Holies. So you're coming into this temple, you're sacrificing. Because has anybody ever seen animals get butchered? Has anybody seen how messy that is, where your meat comes from, where animals go to die, slaughterhouses? Well, when these priests were killing animals, it was a bloody mess. So they had to wash themselves to be able to do it. Am I, am I uh, yeah, set up a new window. Perfect. Give it up for the broskies in the back. I got it right here. Awesome. Give it up for them. Come on. Don't patty cake them. Don't patty cake these guys. Come on. Thank you. Look at this. Pimping it out. Like you know how we do it. Okay, look at this. Right here you have, <laughs> that was my little song. Here you got, right here, the Holy of Holies. Everybody say Holy of Holies. And right there in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. Bam. Now, if you lifted off that treasure chest, you would see three things that were in here that God uh, told Moses to put in there. The Ten Commandments written by the finger of God to represent all the other 600 commands of God. You would see the staff of Aaron that had budded miraculously. It started sprouting miraculously after it was a dead rod that he used as a staff. The rod budded to show he should be the leader of the priest because everybody was asking who should be the priest. And God said, Aaron, and they go, I don't believe that. And he said, well, I'll make his uh, staff bud some flowers on it. So they put it in there as a remembrance. And then they had a jar of manna, which God brought up with the dew every day for them to eat for 40 years. Are you guys with me? This is called the Ark of the Covenant. These are two angels that God told Moses to build, and here is to represent the throne of God. This was called the mercy seat. When they would do their sacrifices, that was always to go from here to there, from here to here. That was the goal. The goal wasn't just to stay around the fire. 
not just to get cleaned up after they had a bloody mess. It wasn't just to go in here and light candles and burn incense and make some bread. It was to go into here to the Holy of Holies because that's where forgiveness was made for the nation. They would take the blood of the animals and they would put it in hyssop, which is like a like a brush a tree, like a like a bush. So it's a bush, and they took off the branches from the bush, and they would dip it in blood, and they would walk through those parts of the temple right here. They would walk through it, and they would get to that part of the Ark of the Covenant, and then they would sprinkle the blood, bam, right there. And God says, you're forgiven. Now, why did that happen? Why did that work? Because it was a shadow of heaven's forgiveness. It was a shadow of the redemption plan of God. It was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do for us. Jesus went through every one of these steps and presented himself to the Father. He brought his blood to the Father's throne and gave us salvation. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, and then we'll go to Hebrews 4, and this is part of the message. What I am teaching you today is the throne of grace. Everybody say throne of grace. The throne of grace was shadowed in the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Does everybody get that? Real throne of grace in heaven. Real throne of grace. Real place where the blood of Jesus went. But in the Old Testament, what did they have as a shadow? The Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say mercy seat. Okay, here we go. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came. The shadow, the thing that produced the shadow came. Does everybody get that? Why did they sacrifice lambs? Because Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Why, was Jesus, why did Jesus come to flesh? Because without the shedding of blood, people can't be forgiven. Jesus existed before he was born. He took on flesh. Why? So the, shadow, the thing producing the shadow might live among us. Does everybody get that? Does anybody? Let's not say, okay, I asked if anybody had it. Nobody said anything. Let's start with where we're at here. How many of you understand what I'm talking about, shadows? Okay, just keep your hands raised. How many of you understand when I say that the throne of grace in heaven produced the shadow of the Ark of the Covenant? And the most important thing, okay, was Jesus, the mercy, uh, the mercy seat in heaven. Is everybody with me? Okay, heaven, then earth, heaven, then earth. Okay, now watch this. In the past, everybody say, Joe, we're talking about the past. Okay, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various forms. Those were the shadows. The prophets were the shadows. They were speaking about what God had showed them, but it wasn't a reality yet. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Who did the father use to make the universe? So was the son born on December 25th? No, he just took on flesh. He had always existed with the father. The father used him to create the universe. Hello, somebody. Now watch. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What is the son compared to God's being? He is the what? The exact representation. The son compared to God's being is what? The exact representation of his, uh, the exact representation. Uh, Jesus said to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Now watch. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purifications for sins, after Jesus provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, ma of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior from, theirs. from theirs. He sat at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Now, going back to the notes, go to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hebrews chapter 4 for the passage of the sermon. Are you guys ready? Come on, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Look at it right here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Hebrews 4.14, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we pro profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's what? Let's approach, approach God's what? Throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need. When Jesus died on the cross, where did he go? After, you know, he was buried and he rose from the dead, where did he go? To heaven. Where did he sit down? And what is that throne called where he's at right now? The throne of grace. Jesus is at the throne of grace. What's today's message? Like, what's that message about? Like, throne of grace. What, did, what, what was this a shadow of, the Ark of the Covenant in the, New, in the Old Testament? What was this a shadow of? It was a shadow of the throne of grace. The Ark of the Covenant was a shadow of the throne of grace. What were the animal sacrifices a shadow of? Jesus. What were the high priests a shadow of? Jesus, hello, are you learning something? Can I show you one more before we go on? And I got so many good things to share with you, but I just want you to understand the throne of grace is available for all of us today because of Jesus. Don't miss out on anything other than that. But you need to know what the throne of grace represents and where it's been at in the Bible. The throne of grace has always been there. Jesus has always been there. Jesus just came 2,000 years ago to make a way for all of us to go to that throne and receive help in time of need. Now look at Hebrews chapter 8, please, verse 5, and then I'll get to the points of the sermon. I still got plenty of times, plenty of time. How many believe I can get this done in 25 minutes? Amen. 25 minutes, here we go. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, and then we will move on. To the points of this sermon, which I hope will bless you in a mighty way. How many want to be blessed in a mighty way? Amen. Amen. Look at this. They serve, talking about the high priest, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in. I just needed to read this and stop doing all my talking. That's just so awesome. I had to, I had to applaud the word of God. Does that, does that not just say it better than I ever could? These priests do things in a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was, to, when he was about ready to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. 
Come on. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Man, that's so awesome. I'm just amazed at God that he would make it so simple for us. The Bible's not meant to be confusing. The reason why they were doing these things back then was so that Jesus might come and they would understand who he was. Why was Jesus dying on a cross instead of meditating on the Himalayan mountains like the Dalai Lama? Because in heaven there's an altar and there needs to be sacrifice for sin. Our God is not a yoga pant wearing vegetarian meditating God. Our God is a meat slaughtering animal eating Holy Ghost filled trinity. Are you listening with me? Okay, so this is why our Bible is the way it is. So Jesus just could have came and been like making up stuff as he came along. Nobody would have known what in the world he was doing, and no one would have known that he was a Messiah. God gave us 4,000 years of human history in the Old Testament so that when Jesus would come and, uh, and fulfill prophecies, not just so it would be like, oh, that's cool, Jesus fulfilled a prophecy. No, that people would know it was all shadows and types and copies of what was in heaven, and Jesus could prove to them, I'm the one that y'all have been hearing about. This that you guys have been studying about is here now. He could prove it to them. He, he could say, you remember this? Okay, I was there when that happened. Remember Abraham, he said to them? He said, remember Abraham? And they go, yeah. He goes, before Abraham was, I am. And he said the divine name of God. Before Abraham was, I am. God's name to Moses. Moses said, who are you, God? What's your name? Who should I tell them send? He said, tell them that I am has sent you. God, Jesus is speaking to the Jews, and they say, we're sons of Abraham. And he goes, you like Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. And then they try to pick up stones to kill him because he knew he had just either blasphemed or he was their very God. Jesus was either blaspheming, and it wasn't true, or he was their very God, and he just used the divine name upon himself. Hello? When Jesus showed himself his glory on the mountain of transfiguration, you know all he did? He just turned up his glory a little bit that he himself had laid down so that he could come and be among us so that his disciples could see he is the one that's been at the Father's side. Isaiah said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. They saw him just for a second as Isaiah saw him before, shining brighter than the noonday sun. This is our Jesus. He's fulfilling the things of the Old Testament so that Jew and Gentile, so that all mankind can come and be forgiven. Now look at this right here. It says... That Jesus was tempted in every way like us. Write down three or four temptations that you have. Come on, please, write them down. On your phone, on a piece of paper, write them down right now. Write them down. The dark ones, the scary ones, the ones that you wish nobody knew about. Come on, write it down. I cannot point this at anybody's eye anymore because Isaiah's mom said I can't. It's dangerous. I won't do it anymore. I'll get in trouble. She's keeping an eye on me. I've been good. I've been good. Write down your temptations. Now, Write down what you think would be the worst temptation in the world, the, the dirtiest, the craziest, seriously. I mean, not get perverted like sick, sick, you know, but just be honest. Would it be like the worst kind of temptation, the temptation to hurt a child? What about the temptation to do a mass genocide like Hitler? Just write it down. You get what I'm saying? Like we're not going to get sinful writing down temptations. Just write down some of yours, and then what you would say are just the craziest. Rape, murder, genocide, racism. Are you guys with me? How many of those temptations was Jesus tempted with? Jesus was tempted in what? Just like we are. 
Jesus was not just tempted three times by the devil. Jesus at all times had the devil tempting him. That was just a significant time so that we could be taught how he fought the devil. Jesus did not use Superman powers to defeat the devil. Otherwise, you and I could not learn of him. You think Michael Jordan could teach any of us how to dunk from the free throw line? i got to use examples from my generation, okay, so I don't know who's popular right now. Could, could Michael Jordan literally teach me how to dunk from the free throw line? Could he get me to accomplish that task after, what, 10 lessons, 100 lessons? You think he would ever get me to accomplish that task? I don't have it in me. I could never do it. I could not do it. It would be impossible to do it. It would be the same thing as asking somebody who's talented in natural ability to ride a, to be a jockey on a horse and to ride that horse in a two-minute mile or something. It's just you ask a guy like me, I could never do it. You have to cut me apart and cut off my legs. Are you listening to me? I just couldn't do it. When it says here that he was tempted in every way like us, did he do it like us or did he do it like a Superman, someone that we can never be like? See, I can't be like Michael Jordan, so am I just supposed to always be a fan? Am I always just supposed to be like Jesus? Okay, you were the only one who didn't sin, so me, I'm going to always sin because I'm not like you. No, he didn't sin. And now he's at the throne of grace so that I can come to him, receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need. So Jesus never sinned and never did anything against God. And now he says, whatever sin you're facing, I know how to beat it. I know how to get you through it. I know how you don't ever have to do it again. Just come to me for help. We think of the throne of grace as just a place where I get forgiven after I sin. The throne of grace is to get help not to sin. Turn with me to 1 John 4, 17. How many love the Bible this morning, this afternoon? How many are happy you're hearing the Bible? Thank you. Praise God for his word. 1 John 4, 17, please. Have you ever lived without sin? No, so you need a throne of grace, don't you? But can a throne of grace now keep you from sin? Can a throne of grace keep you from sin? Yes or no? How many needed the throne of grace to forgive them of sin? All of us? How many now need the throne of grace to keep them from sin? What do you think is better? For my daughter to try to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich by herself as a six-year-old or to ask me for help to teach her how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Which is better? So do you think God wants us to try to do this Christian thing on our own now? Hey, guys, I saved you. Now take care of yourself. Here's the plane. Good luck flying it. Or do you think he wants to teach us how to fly the plane, going back to a previous example? Do you think he, as a child we're called his children? Do you think he wants us to grow up in our salvation? Do you think he wants us to experience the things that he knows, wisdom? He does. How about this scripture right here, 1 John 4, 17? This is how love is made complete among us. God loves us. Everybody say God loves us. How does God complete his love among us so that we're confident on the day of judgment? In this world, we are like, we are like. Kanye West, we are like Caitlyn Jenner, we are like Oprah Winfrey. We're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody's like Jesus. Well, why did the Bible tell me I'm like Jesus? No, I'm not like Jesus? No, you're not like Jesus because Jesus was a sinner. Do you believe Jesus? Yeah, I believe Jesus. Well, Jesus told me I was like him. Jesus told me to be perfect as his heavenly father was perfect. Did Jesus lose his mind that day? Was he supposed to say, be sinful like your father, the devil, sinful? And you, don't, you think Jesus didn't understand what he was saying? Well, perfect really doesn't mean perfect. Perfect just means try hard like your father tries hard. Go quick with me, uh, quickly to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, please. Matthew 5, 48. How many love Jesus? 
How many think Jesus would ever say anything that would hurt you? How many think Jesus would ever say anything that wouldn't be good for you? How many think whatever Jesus says is true? How many believe Jesus? I'm not talking about Jesus people make up on TV. I'm talking about real Bible Jesus. What does this verse say? Can you guys read this for me out loud on the count of three? One, two, three. Now, I don't understand that. I'm sitting here, Rocky, and I'm like anybody else in the congregation. I'm just sitting here, and I got a question. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can you, can you explain to me what you think that means? Like to be holy, like he's holy? I'll take that as an answer. Everybody give Rocky a hand clap. Come on. Be morally blameless like your father is morally blameless. Be holy like your father. So it's all imperfection. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, please. Can I believe that, Bobby? Can I believe what that says? Would Jesus ask me to do something I couldn't do? Would he ever ask me to do something I couldn't do? Of course he wouldn't. Do you guys understand the Michael, uh, Michael Jordan illustration? If I said to you, sorry about that, I'll get you a new one. If I said to you, dunk the ball from the, the free throw line like Michael Jordan, and you couldn't do it, wouldn't that be wrong of me to expect you to do it? What if I said, no one can come to church today unless you can dunk the ball from the free throw line? Nobody, nobody, you can't come to church. Now imagine this, God is saying, you can't go to heaven unless you do what he's talking about doing. This is serious. We all better stop and go, okay, Whatever he says, I got to do, I got to do it. Whatever he says, be, I better be, baby. If he says, be a chicken and balk like a hen, what? I'm going to start balking. If that's what he says, I got to be. If he says, be sassy, some of y'all already going to heaven ready. You ready. You sassy. Be sassy. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm ready, Lord. I'm sassy right now. But what does he say? He says, be, be Perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. As obedient children, how many obedient children we got up in this place? Are you all disobedient God's children? You on a spiritual spanking from Jesus? Jesus said, don't let me take off, don't have me take off the bell. Don't have me whoop you. Didn't he whip on some people in the Jewish temple who started selling stuff? You saw that model. They made another one. Then he started selling stuff in there, making money in that place. As obedient children, don't conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before you were saved, you lived in evil desires. But just as he who called you is what? So be in some things you do. Just every now and then. Just on the easy stuff. In all you do, for it is written, be because I am holy. Praise God. How many are happy about that? That's God. I don't have to make that promise come true in your life. God does. He's the one that promised it to you. I didn't promise it to you. He did. But here's the good news. He said, come to his throne of grace and receive the help you need. When we are saved, we are changed. And then God expects us to live holy and be perfect like him. And whenever we face temptation, we're to go to him for help. Do you think there's any time that I face temptation? Let me just back up and say like this. How many of you have ever faced temptation before? Please raise your hand. Okay. Now put your hand down. How many of you during that time of temptation, just any, ex any time for an example, you sinned and you gave into it? You gave into sin. How many of you felt bad after you did that? Okay. We're all together on that. Now watch this. How many of you ever faced a temptation before 
You came to God for help, and then you didn't commit the sin. Raise your hand. So, God, you know, God, you were, you were thinking about lying, and, and you came to God and said, God, I, I know if I tell the truth, I might get fired. But it is true. I lost that client. I, I didn't do what they asked me, you know, but I'm going to tell the truth. And you went to God and said, God, help me tell the truth. Right? Or maybe you were angry at somebody, and you were about ready to cuss, and you're like, God, help me not cuss, and you didn't cuss. You, you saw God help you do the right thing. Now watch. Is there any sin, big, small, I don't care, any temptation you wrote down, any sin where God's like, you can sin that time or you can give in to that one. That's okay. I'm cool with that. Like every now and then, like we go to heaven and like say, God, I'm struggling right now. This is a really bad temptation. And he's like, oh, come on, angels. Let's, let's let them do it. Just this once. I know you're human. No big deal. I'll be here to forgive you anyways. Just go ahead and do it. Shh, don't tell Pastor Joe because he thinks you're not supposed to give. But that's okay. Don't tell him because I'm saying this one time is okay. Do you think there's any time where Jesus is just like, it's okay. Go ahead and sin. You think so? No. So every, every time I have ever sinned, it has been because I didn't go to him for help. Every time. Every time I've been bitter, lustful, total lie. It wasn't because that, I, that God hadn't perfected me or changed me. Go to Hebrews 10, 14, please. It wasn't because God didn't make me holy. It was because I didn't want to be holy. I wanted to pretend to be somebody else. I knew that I was saved but I didn't want to act like it. I can't blame it on anybody but myself. See, look at Hebrews 10.14 as it comes up here. Hebrews 10.14 says what God did in our lives. It's a fact. Facts are our friends. How many think facts are friends? Right? Is anybody upset about gravity today? Like, just, oh, my gosh, I hate gravity. I don't believe it. I don't believe gravity. I don't think I'm going to believe it today. Some people are like, Pastor, what is this thing? Oh, okay, well, I don't know if I believe this today. This is a fact. Okay? I can show you the validity of the Bible at another time, but trust me, it's a fact. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, how many times did Jesus sacrifice himself? One time. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect for how long? Forever those who are being made holy. How long have you been made perfect? Forever. How did you become perfect? By one sacrifice. And what are, what's happening in your life right now? You're being made what? Let's go home. I'm ready to get some Dairy Queen. So are you going to argue with that? I mean, it's up to you. You can argue with that if you want. You can say, no, I'm not perfect. God didn't, God didn't, God didn't perfect me. He didn't make me holy. He just asked me to do stuff I can never do, and he's okay because I don't do it sometimes. He even asked me, or he even told me I could ask him for help, but I don't ask him for help, but he's okay with that because he's going to forgive me anyway. That's not the throne of grace. Can I tell you what's going to happen if you live like that? How many want to know what happens if you live like that? Five of you? Two of you? How many? Just raise your hand if you want to hear about it. Okay. What happens is, is you're going to face the throne of judgment. The problem will be is that you will face the throne of judgment if you don't let Christ change you. The throne of grace is there for two different types of people. Number one, the throne of grace is for sinners to become saints. We come to Jesus to be forgiven, not to stay the way we've been, but to be cleansed. That's Hebrews 10, 14. You've already heard about that. Then the throne of grace now is for saints, those who have been changed, for help, number one, not to sin. And if they do sin, it's to be cleansed and forgiven. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, please. This is the Christian life. Holy, perfected saints of God, living as they are commanded to live. 
If they sin, this is a pebble in their shoe. It's not the norm. If you had a pebble in your shoe, would you keep it there or take it out? You would take it out. You, would, you wouldn't make an excuse and go, well, my whole other body is fine other than this little pebble. I'm good. No, you would take it out. Every sin, you repent of it. Why? Because sin is not to be ever in the believer's life. You are to be free and cleansed from sin. My dear children, how many are children of God here today? Amen. I write this to you so that you will not. So how many times does God want you to sin? Never. He doesn't want you to sin. But if anybody does sin, because sometimes we do, we don't live like how we're supposed to, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So does the Christian receive forgiveness? Truly, they do. They are forgiven if they mean it, if they want God to forgive them. But the idea isn't to sin to keep on sinning. It's to sin. It's to live in perfection. It's to live how Christ has made us. It's to live in holiness. Some of you may be saying, I just showed up here and I just heard this teaching for the first time. What do you think the church has been teaching all this time, my friends, the Pentecostals and the holiness preachers? This has been what we've always taught and believed. The only problem is, is that it's become ununderstandable. People don't talk about it anymore. And now they've compromised and made the church mediocre. But these are what the heroes of my faith believed. If you've ever studied about the Pentecostal movements of Brazil and Korea and China and Africa, this is what we've always taught from John Wesley all the way through church history. We believe that when a man was saved, he was saved. He wasn't a sinner anymore. He was changed. That's why you go to old traditional churches, you still may believe this. They'll say saints of God. They'll call their church saints. Why? Because that's who they are. That's how Paul called his church saints. Go to Ephesians 1, verse 1 when you have time. Holy ones. And so somehow along the way we've made excuses for our sins and we've watered it down and we think that it's legalism. It's not legalism. talks about the color of the, uh, the length of your hair, the music you listen to, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. Look at the Bible. Whatever it calls a sin, don't do. The Bible doesn't say these things, uh, these kind of other things are, are sins. If this is legalism, a man-made tradition. The list of the sins are obvious, the Bible says, perversion, anger, all those things. When you look at what happened at the throne of grace, Jesus was our high priest. When he died on the cross and ascended to heaven, he brought his blood to the throne of the Father. Literally, he brought it there. There at that throne, he brought the sacrifice. You see in the book of Revelation, as John is seeing the picture, there is a throne with a lamb that looks slain around the throne. That is Jesus. He's the one worthy to open the scrolls that are written. The priests in the Old Testament would not only do the purification of their sins, but they would, uh, for the Israelites' sins, they would also give blessings to the people, all the promises of Deuteronomy 18. Jesus is now the one who blesses us. We go to him in our time of need, not just to receive forgiveness of sin and the sacrifice, but also to receive blessing. You know what the word blessing means? Happy, empowered to prosper. You're successful when you're with God. It doesn't mean things always go easy. It's just you know God is on your side. And what does he ask us to do? He says you're saved by grace through faith. And in this passage here of Hebrews, it says that we can come through the throne of grace, but we have to hold firmly to the faith we profess. So it's always by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We come to the throne of grace by faith. Whenever we're tempted, we can look to Jesus and go, Jesus understands. Jesus understands this temptation of peer pressure, gangs, violence, lying, perversion. Jesus understands Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, he understands him. 
No one else can understand him like Jesus does. Jesus knows the way out of his sin. Two errors that we make when we look at Jesus being sinless is we say, oh, he had an advantage. He was God in the flesh. That's not true. Was Jesus baptized just like us? Did the Holy Spirit come upon him just like us? And when the devil tempted him those three times, what did he do? He used the word of God. It is written. Satan said, turn these rocks into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. How many of you have been baptized? And baptized represents your salvation. Though Jesus was never lost, he didn't need to be saved. He still did it to represent what it is for us. So after that point, we're just like him, by his power, not without him, but with him. How many have received the Holy Spirit? How many have the word of God? So you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. You're just like Jesus. Like how he was, you are. That's what he did. To say you're less than that is not humble. To say you're not who he said you are, it's not humble, it's prideful. If my daughter said to me, I'm not a rhyrostic, that's not humble, that's prideful. If you say I'm not holy, that's not humble, that's prideful. If you say I'm not perfected in Christ, that's not humble, that's prideful. He says you're holy. He says you're perfect forever. He says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to get to a whole bunch of, I have 40 things that he said about you in closing. Can I read those 40 things before we go? That's the grand finale. That's like the fireworks. You guys remember the fireworks, Joe? The one that, that one, the real last one, the one that we all love. I got that coming. Sometimes we look at Jesus and we say, well, only Jesus is perfect. Yes, Jesus was the only one that didn't need to be saved. We need to be saved. But when I'm saved, what am I saved from? Sin. And what am I brought to? Perfection, holiness. When we look at the Bible, we see that God's throne brings forgiveness of sin and power not to sin. How many want to be forgiven of sin? How many want the power not to sin? Any of those temptations that you wrote down that you still want to do, you can do. And you can get in trouble. Because what will happen is you'll misuse the throne of grace. There's two things that will happen. There's the throne of grace that's for Christians and those who desire to be born again and live holy. And then there's the throne of judgment if we deliberately keep on sinning, ignoring God's word. Go to Revelation chapter 20, please, in closing. Then we'll get to the 40 benefits of grace. I just want you to see Revelation chapter 20. Everybody say it's about ready to get scary. It's going to get a little scary. You're going to get scared. Because this is what happens. You don't come to the throne of grace now. What does that become in the day of Revelation or the end times, the last day? What does it become? throne of judgment so you said no God I, I wanted my own sin you couldn't change me I wanted it my way okay you get it your way God removes you from his presence in the book of Revelation chapter 20 you see the, the judgment of Satan and all this going on now you got the judgment of the dead watch this right here it's so simple my friends then I saw the great white throne and him who seated on it and, though, and, and him who was seated on it, the earth and heavens fled from his presence. This is not a happy time. There's no place for them to hide. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before that throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. So here there's books, and then there's one book, the book of life. The books are where sinners will be judged by every action they've done, every word they've spoken, every deed they've done. The book of life is whether or not your life was written in there because you went to the throne of grace. Your name was written in there, rather. The dead were judged according to the things they had done recorded in the books, plural. You see that? Books, plural. You die, you did not come to the mercy seat and get your name written in the one book of life. One book of life, name, J. 
Joe Y. Rostick, Ashley Bolden, Stephanie Santoyo. That's it. One book, your name, because you came to the throne of grace and were born again. If that did not happen, you are going to be judged by the books chronicling your life. Are you ready for God to judge you by every word you spoke, every deed you've done, everything? Because the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death, Hades, which is hell, gave up the dead that were in him. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into where? The lake of fire. Hell goes into the lake of fire. Hell is a temporary place until the last judgment. Lake of fire is where people will be for eternity if they don't have Christ. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone who has, whose name is not written, found in the book of life, was thrown where? Into the lake of fire. If you have not come to the mercy seat, you will face the throne of judgment. The throne of judgment will cast you into the lake of fire. Which one do you want, the throne of judgment or the throne of grace? Do you want to be saved or do you want to be lost? Amen. Can I give you 40 benefits? Because I, I, I started with 20, then I went to 30, and then I went all the way to 40. And I forgot to change the title right there. Is this okay if I give it to you real quick in closing? Jerry, would you come, please? Here's what the throne of grace will do for you. You're born again at the throne of grace. You're made a new creation. You're saved. You become God's masterpiece. You're washed clean from all sin. You are sanctified, justified, redeemed. You are the righteousness of God. You are perfected forever. You are purified from all sin. You are made holy. You are given a new heart. You have the laws of God written upon your mind. Your flesh, sinful desires are crucified with Christ. You are given the fruit of the Spirit. You are sealed in Christ. Your soul is saved. You are adopted into God's family. You become a co-heir with Christ. You are seated in heavenly places. Breath halfway through. 21. You are given all spiritual blessings. You are given the mind of Christ. You are made more than a conqueror. You are made for good works. You are made a saint, a holy person. You are free from the law of sin and death. You are free from condemnation. You are given eternal life. You are given the peace of God. You receive the blessing of Abraham. You are forgiven of all sins. You are a partaker of the divine nature of God. You're engrafted into the vine of Israel. Your life is rooted in Christ. You're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are blameless. God's possessions. You have access to the Father in Jesus' name. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you have a place prepared for you in heaven. If that's what you want, stand up to your feet, and let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on, let's praise him for the throne of grace. And would you come with the altar workers, please? The choice is yours, my friends. The choice is so yours today. It is 100% up to you. You can either come to the throne of grace now and find mercy and help in your time of need, or you can face the throne of God's judgment. Which one do you want? Do you want to be able to come to Christ and receive all of those blessings? Or do you want to suffer judgment? It's up to you today. Would you play just a little softer, please? Thank you. I want you guys just to look at me before we close out. These prayer workers are here to pray with you. But remember, they're not your priest. You already have a high priest seated next to the Father. You don't need me to dress up in a gown and you call me Father and me hand you num-nums and you eat it like a baby pigeon out of my hand. You don't need that. You don't need a priest. You have a high priest. His name is Jesus. These folks up here are just help you to go to Jesus. That's all they're here to do. You get that? You have access to Jesus. That's all you need. 
But I just want to say this in closing. If you have any questions about this, not only have them pray for you, but start discipleship. Begin to understand who Christ made you to be. And let us all choose that throne of grace and be humble. When I look at Steve, as Paul said, I don't look at Steve according to the flesh. I look at him according to his spirit. What God did in his life. He is a saint. When you look at yourself in the mirror, don't see yourself with your physical mortal body and its evil desires. See yourself as Christ sees you. The righteousness of God. And watch how your life changes. You will do good works when you know the good work God has done in you. If you try to do good works without being saved, it's never good enough. So do I mess up sometimes? Yes, my wife will tell you. She's got a long list of them. I'm kidding. Half kid. She doesn't keep no records of wrongs. Amen. Let's tell them how we do it. Love you. No record of wrong, the Bible says. But, you know, she's seen me mess up. But what do I do? I repent. I don't come to her and say, well, you know, this is the way I'm going to be, so get used to it. I say, that's not who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be who Christ made me. I, w I just wonder, before we close out in prayer, because this is where I ended with the first service, I just wonder what it would be like if we could see the person Jesus wants us to be. How much different we would look at our lives right now. Like if Jesus could just show you a day in the life of you if you did it his way. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's so much better than what I've been thinking about doing. You know, like, I'll, like Jesus would just show you a day in the life of you on your job if you did it his way tomorrow. A day in the life of your marriage if you did it his way. A day in the life of whatever you're going through. You know, because for us, it's so hard for us to imagine we can be that. We limit ourselves by our own mind. We're like, no, I'm not that messed up. My past, my, my family, this, my, my habits. And we're not stopping to understand this, this thing called salvation is a new life. It's a new life. You're born again. You're, you have a new chance. And we, we don't see our spirit, so we don't know what it looks like. And we don't see ourselves really outside of ourselves. You know, we can only see our hands. But sometimes I wish we could just see how God made us. And you know the best way I think we can do that is by going to the Word of God and saying, that's who I want to be. Watching Jesus and going, that's who I want to be. I want to love my enemies like Jesus loved his enemies. I want to help the poor like Jesus helped the poor. I want to talk to people like how Jesus talked. You know, it's like, so I want to encourage you as we get ready to pray and you guys come up because we always do this, to look at who Christ made you to be. Go back to the Word and read it and say, can I really have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control like the Bible says I can? Can I, can I have that character like Jesus had? Can I really be like him? Because I want to and watch what he'll do. Amen? The, man, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Begin to change your meditation, and I believe we'll change our lives. Amen? Father, bless us as we go our separate ways today. I pray that all of us will remain at that throne of grace that will be there, God, if we get tempted and if we sin. No matter what, we won't leave. And then, Lord, I pray that we'll invite our friends. We'll invite our, our, our enemies. We'll, we'll invite everybody we know to come to that throne of grace. 
so they can receive transformation as well. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Can you give it up for Jesus? God bless you guys. I love you. Jerry's going to close out singing a song. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, slap somebody high five and say it's all about that grace. It's all about that grace. Thank you for coming. Come on up or just worship with the after party. Amen. Have a great week. Come to the throne of grace if you need prayer. Thank you, God. Jesus. Could we put up the words as she sings it, please? Come on, it's wonderful. Amazing grace. Can you sing this again, please? Come on, from the top. Those who are leaving, God bless you. But if you need prayer, come on up. Or if you just want to worship with us, let's do it. Oh God, set them free, set them on fire, God. 